said the latter, and his look seemed to express still more kindliness and weariness. "'I know why you say that,' rejoined the man who was leaving. "'To be loved is, in your opinion, as great a happiness as to love, and if a man obtains it, it is enough for his whole life.' "'Yes, quite enough, my dear fellow. More than enough,' confirmed the plain little man, opening and shutting his eyes. "'But why shouldn't the man love, too?' said the traveller thoughtfully, looking at his friend with something like pity. "'Why shouldn't one love? Because love doesn't come. No, to to be loved is a misfortune. It is a misfortune to feel guilty because you do not give something you cannot give. Oh, my God!' he added with a gesture of his arm. If it all happened reasonably and not all topsy-turvy, not in our way, but in a way of its own. Why, it's as if I had stolen that love. You think so, too. Don't deny it. You must think so. But will you believe it? Of all the horrid and stupid things I have found time to do in my life, and there are many, this is one I do not and cannot repent of. Neither at the beginning nor afterwards did I lie to myself or to her. It seemed to me that I had at last fallen in love, but then I saw that it was an involuntary falsehood, and that that was not the way to love. And I could not go on, but she did. Am I to blame that I couldn't? What was I to do? Well, it's ended now, said his friend, lighting a cigar to master his sleepiness. The fact is that you have not yet loved, and do not know what love is. The man in the fur-lined coat was going to speak again, and put his hand to his head, but could not express what he wanted to say. Never loved. Yes, quite true. I never have. But after all, I have within me a desire to love, and nothing could be stronger than that desire. But then again, does such love exist? There always remains something incomplete— Ah, well, what's the use of talking? I made an awful mess of life. But anyhow, it's all over now, you are quite right, and I feel that I am beginning a new life. (laughs) Which you will again make a mess of, said the man who lay on the sofa playing with his watch-key. But the traveller did not listen to him. I am sad, and yet glad to go, he continued. Why I am sad, I don't know. And the traveller went on talking about himself, without noticing that this did not interest the others as much as it did him. A man is never such an egotist as at a moment of spiritual ecstasy. Such times it seems to him that there is nothing on earth more splendid and interesting than himself. Dmitri Andreish, the coachman won't wait any longer said a young serf, entering the room in a sheepskin coat with a scarf tied round his head. "'The horses have been standing since twelve, and it's now four o'clock.' Dmitri Andreish looked at his serf, Vanyusha. The scarf round Vanyusha's head, his felt boots and sleepy face, seemed to be calling his master to a new life of labour, hardship and activity. "'True enough. Good-bye.' said he, feeling for the unfastened hook and eye on his coat. 
In spite of advice to mollify the coachman by another tip, he put on his cap and stood in the middle of the room. The friends kissed once, then again, and after a pause a third time. The man in the fur-lined coat approached the table and emptied a champagne glass, then took the plain little man's hand and blushed. Ah, well, I will speak out all the same. I must and will be frank with you, because I am fond of you. Of course you love her. I always thought so, don't you? Yes, answered his friend, smiling still more gently. And, er, uh, perhaps— Please, sir, I have orders to put out the candles, said the sleepy attendant, who had been listening to the last part of the conversation, and wondering why gentlefolk always talk about one and the same thing. To whom shall I make up the bill?